The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis, James Fegan, and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, as it's Monday, February 26th, 2024. In this episode, we'll recap the Chicago White Sox first spring training games as they finish 1-2 and two over the weekend. There's some good things that we like to see early, and there are some things, well, let's just say with 30 more spring training games that these mistakes get cleaned up before opening day. Also, Cody Bellinger finally re-signs with the Chicago Cubs on a three-year, $80 million contract. That's one Scott Boris holdout finally signed. What about the other three big free agents? We'll take our best guesses where they will sign and for how much. But as we record this episode late on Sunday night, February 25th, and you know whose birthday it is? That's right. It's Jerry Reinsdorf's birthday as he turns 88 years old. To learn what he gave Jerry for his big birthday is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. What'd you get for Jerry's birthday? Well, it's funny. If you walk around downtown Nashville, especially anytime between Thursday and Sunday, you'll see... A bunch of bachelorette parties and whether it's like the uh, cars with uh, streamers on them or uh, the pedal taverns, what have you, you know, they, they call them the woo girls uh, with the you know cowboy boots, pink hats, everything like that. Uh, a lot of times they'll have signs either with them or, you know, if they're driving a car, they'll have it like soaped onto the car yeah. with a Venmo code uh, saying like, you know, buy us drinks. Somebody's getting married. And I'm always tempted to like, you know, scan the code and then wait until like 1030 and see how drunk they are and request money instead of sending money. Just like, oh, here's your $13, you know, nothing outrageous, but like, you know, $13 and uh, 44 cents for X, <laughs> like for drinks or something, you know, something that's, you know, and just see like how many of them uh, get confused and hit the wrong button and see how much money I can make in the evening. So... Uh, to answer that, I'm not getting Jerry Reinsdorf pink uh, cowboy boots, but I was thinking like, what if I, you know, Venmo him, but also like, maybe like, what's a, what's an amount he wouldn't notice? $15,000? <laughs> yeah, how much of it, you know, goes back and forth in his Venmo? Like, 
that would be my attempt. It would be a reverse birthday gift to me. Well, one, does uh, does Jerry know what Venmo is? Uh, two, since when did you become evil, Jim? When when did when did my sweet Jim Margulis want to start scamming uh, strangers for money? I've never done it, but when you get stuck behind like three pedal taverns trying to run an errand, uh, and then you're like, okay, I'll get around this car, and then you get blocked by another one, and so on and so forth. Then you just start. You have a lot of time to think about different ways that you could kind of bend it to your advantage. <laughs> Nashville, Nashville has turned Jim Margulis into a villain. I love it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I did ask on Twitter, and I, I'm not shocked by the majority of the results, asking what you would give Jerry Ryan store for his birthday. But there were some pretty funny ones. Uh, this one from K Thompson 99 a billion dollars. I mean, he did ask nicely for a billion dollars. Uh, Prazmaster, five billion from the Saudi investment fund to take the Chicago Bulls and White Sox off his hands. That's nice from Praz. Uh, as in wreck, a Sox machine Patreon supporter, a moment of clarity. I think that's a good one. Uh, Hannah, the gift of retirement. I think we could agree with that. Uh, John Walters, a tax increase. <laughs> Uh, and then a uh, shy sports drummer, a handwritten card and some Arby's coupons, but not the dollar 99 for the four piece mozzarella sticks. Those are for winners. Jim, are you a big Arby's <laughs> mozzarella stick fan? I am not. Although just my fast food intake has uh, dropped dramatically. So I am way behind on Arby's offerings. I'm still stuck in five for five for Arby's. That's my point of reference which is probably a pricing structure that uh, stopped existing around like 1997. Uh, but that's still where I'm at with Arby's. All right. Yeah, I don't know if they still run the five for five anymore. And this is economy... like Costco. Yeah, Costco, I mean, it was a $1.50 uh, hot dog and Coke or Pepsi. That's they still carry Pepsi like products. It. Yeah, so I think that and like Arizona iced tea is being 99 cents. Yeah, yeah, well, the... If those ever raise in price, then, you know, the economy is in really bad shape. But I, I enjoy uh, these tweets. So thank you for those uh, that submitted them. And again, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me at Sox Machine underscore Josh. My gift to Jerry Reinsdorf is ownership of the parking lot surrounding guarantee rate field. Seeing as how one of his real estate companies keeps buying parking lots around the United Center, I figured, Jim, he would enjoy owning more parking lots. Yeah. Uh, what do you get for the guy who has everything? Asphalt. Parking lots. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? Hey, if you give him the parking lots for free, then maybe uh, he can work with Related Midwest and figure out how to build that ballpark village like Cincinnati has a... Uh, in Bridgeport and the White Sox could stay in Bridgeport. Uh, but yeah, if you didn't know the story, uh, a real estate company that Jerry Reinsdorf's involved with. Or his associates are involved with like Terry Savarisi, who's like the stadium operations manager for Guaranteed Rate Field uh, and the United Center. And then Howard uh, Pfizer, who's a uh, partner, you know, ownership partner with the White Sox. Yeah, their, their real estate company has bought parking lots around the United center, the West loop of Chicago for like 40 plus million dollars. Uh, not a, not a small amount by any stretch of the imagination, but it does raise a curious thought of what you're going to be doing with these parking lots. Now that you own them around the United center, 
Uh, maybe you'll just take that parking money, or maybe you'll develop those parking lots. And if you're willing to do that, connecting the dots, dot, dot, mm-hmm. dot, uh, could you do that around Gary Pregnant pause. Yeah. 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 Drop in the bucket, though, 44 million versus 1 billion, <laughs> 1.2 billion, 2 billion, 4 billion and climbing. Right, no kidding. No kidding. Uh, no kidding. It, 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 1.2 billion for the stadium, but we still got to clean up the land. That's 900 million. Yeah. 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 Well, happy birthday to Jerry Reinsdorf. He is now 88 years old and still running the Chicago White Sox. And speaking of the team that he owns, the Chicago White Sox played their first three spring training games of 2024. They went one and two. They lost the Chicago Cubs in the spring training opener. Eight to one that game. Uh, not a great start for my man, Jesse Chavez, as he allowed six runs in the first inning. The White Sox played a crazy game against the Seattle Mariners in which they were able to win that one eight to seven. But the White Sox lost the Arizona Diamondbacks five to nothing, and they were no hit for eight plus innings uh, in that game. But it wasn't televised or streamed, so we could kind of pretend it didn't happen. But the questions that I have, and let's start on a positive note. After the first three spring training games, Jim, what have you liked so far from this White Sox team? It's uh, tough to say what I've liked. I think what I've liked has been like in very small, isolated moments, like seeing Kevin Pillar, some actual speed in right field, Uh, seeing Tim Elko have some nice moments because by all accounts, he seems like a, a guy to rally around. He has some flaws in his game, of course, but just, you know, based on what we heard about him from old miss when he was drafted and he had the statue ceremony for him. So, I mean, obviously he's, you know, he's a, Titanic figure in old miss baseball. And then like uh, the reputation he has, you know, going up the ladder that like spring is nice for, uh, for moments like that, you know, whether it's guys making a name for themselves or guys having like one last, yeah, you know, I shouldn't say one last hurrah, but like one first hurrah might be like a peak of some guy's career if they can't quite like close the gap in AAA. Like nice moment for him to have. Probably the most sustained enjoyable part of spring has, you know, having not seen Jonathan Cannon throw two scoreless innings, I would have liked to see that. But in terms of what you could actually see for yourselves, I would say Brian Ramos's defense at third was a nice summary of the improvements he's made there with his hands and with his range. And the throws were also good. The one throw that he had that was questionable was after a diving stop. So like sometimes, uh, you know, you can, you can, uh, Excuse the occasional weird two-seamer when you're just getting a grip on the ball after flopping to the ground and, you know, getting it over to first base as fast as possible. The problem with Ramos is when he throws the weird uh, screwball to first or like high and wide on a routine throw, but all his routine throws were crisp and like on target. So uh, no issues there. And if he can like continue to develop his defense and iron out the wrinkles there, all of a sudden he has that real plus area to his game that could make him a difference maker versus like a nice major leaguer. Yohan Makata made some good defensive plays in game two against Seattle and Makata did have a double, but like to piggyback on Brian Ramos, like this is a great opportunity for Ramos to really make an introduction to himself for most of the White Sox fans, right? Cause White Sox fans, they do pay attention to spring training They may not pay close attention to how guys are doing in Birmingham. Perhaps they go to SoxMachine.com daily to check the box scores and who you're you're highlighting, Jim, and the 
minor league recaps every day. But getting a chance to watch him now and watching him in that second half, and I, I keep bringing this point up, like he sold me because I had questions about his ability at second at third base. I thought maybe it'd be worthwhile moving him over to second base because the White Sox have had troubles at second base for so long. But I think he could stick at the position, and he actually technically ended the no-hitter on Sunday as he made a really hard smash grounder to third base. I was originally scored an error, but the official score changed that to a base hit for Brian Ramos. So if Ramos could hit a little bit more in these last 30 games, Jim, no matter, I am hoping that he gets as many games as possible in. And he continues to flash the leather. Here's another guy that White Sox fans could dream on. Like, it's one thing when you're hearing Jim Callis and uh, Keith Law and Kylie McDaniel talk up Brian Ramos, but when you get an opportunity to see him make some plays on the field, I think that could continue to build up some hype. And for White Sox fans looking for positive things to stay engaged for this 2024 season, Brian Ramos could be one of those guys. Yeah, he's my number two prospect, partially because uh, I feel the need to um, be ahead of everybody else in my Brian Ramos enthusiasm. And so, like, when I ranked him, I want to rank him, I think I ranked him, like, fifth or seventh or something like that a couple years ago. And then, like, Eric Longenhagen comes in two months into the season with his top White Sox prospect list, ranks him first after a hot start, like, you know, damn you, Eric Long and Hagen. So I, I <laughs> figure like now is my chance to reestablish myself as the uh, leader in Brian Ramos enthusiasm. So ha- happy to see like the the early, uh, you know, early highlights from him. There is a little bit of personal resonance because uh, spring training a couple years ago when my after my son was born uh and so it was his first uh, spring training he's a couple months old brought him down from a nap sit him down on the couch already had the spring training game going on uh first at bat he sees is a brian ramos homer so like i'll automatically associate that with like that was his first exposure to baseball first at bat ever watching it was a brian ramos spring training homer so that's another reason why like uh he he warms my heart well we got to get Vinny margulis a brian ramos jersey Clearly, maybe when you go visit Birmingham to start the season, Jim, if Ramos is still down there, uh, you can you can work that out with uh, Jonathan Nelson, get something for uh, Mini Margulis there. But, you know, back to Ramos and Yohan Makata, I'm hopefully Yohan Makata has a breakout year and bounces back and is a four-war third baseman. Even if he's that, I still don't think the White Sox are to pick up his club option and he'll become a free agent after the 2024 season. So my expectation is this is the last year for Yohan Makata with the Chicago White Sox. And to make that a reality, not saying necessarily it should be a reality, but if Brian Ramos picks up his play, you could exchange $24 million for like, what, a $4, $5 million buyout and then league minimum for Brian Ramos to be the everyday starter in 2025 at third base. And then you could spend that extra money to fix other patches into the roster. Like that's kind of what I'm wondering if Chris Getz is thinking like this, or if Mikata does have a big first half, maybe you could trade him and then you get to see Brian Ramos in the, in the second Mm -hmm. half of the season. But again, for white Sox fans looking for hope, looking for positive things like, 
Brian Ramos is where I'm paying attention to. And the more that he plays, I think that'd be, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, I had that thought when you're saying that Mankata is like a four win player. Like if he's, if he's like the four win that includes like offensive impact versus like somebody who's just having a really good defensive year. Uh, and is almost like, uh, rich man's Gio Urshela or something like that with a great defensive third and like, okay, bats and you can bat him eighth and be happy. Yeah, I don't know if he can move him because of that buyout that's looming. Um, it doesn't seem like the White Sox right. like to yeah, like throw point. in a lot of cash with their deals. Uh, but that might make him hard to move. But if he's having like the kind of borderline all-star year because he can hit 20 homers and get on base like a 370 clip and play really good defense. And maybe he can find a taker uh, and make that somebody else's decision to make, if, especially if they have like deep pockets or, you know, a real big hole at third to where like, yeah, we can we're okay paying Moncada this or maybe restructuring a deal uh, and seeing if we can work with that a little bit versus, uh, you know, just cutting him outright if he's having that real good year. But I think there are options at third base. Uh, also kind of like seeing some of the uh, uh, the catchers underneath uh, Martin Maldonado and Max Stassi. You have some moments, Corey Lee, who's been pretty much buried on purpose, uh, had a nice two for two, uh, start. Edgar Carroll came through with the game-winning hit, so some of the catchers underneath the catchers are having you know nice first impressions, or in, in the case of Corey Lee, like a second impression that can maybe overwrite uh, just how little he offered uh, after coming over in the trade and dealing with the uh, oblique injury and coming back from that and not looking right. Like He's got a chance to overwrite what he showed last year, and so this is a good start towards that end. Yeah, I agree with you. Corey Lee was on my list of things that I'd like to see because he was so bad offensively. Like, I get what Pedro Grafal is saying, that I don't care about his offensive ability as a catcher. I'm more focused on what he brings defensively and to the pitching staff. But to stick in the major leagues, to be more than a backup catcher, you have to show some life at the plate. And Corey Lee, in that cup of coffee last year, first impression, not great at the plate. Did not look like he could hit major league pitching. So it's good to see that getting some early success in spring training, hopefully you could build up some of that confidence on the television side. We're also getting a chance to be introduced to the new TV play-by-play guy, John Schriffen, along with Steve stone and Jim, I know you wrote about this on socksmachine.com on Sunday. I think it's been a good broadcast. I know that it's a lot different than Jason Bedetti in the past where we got used to Jason Benetti's style over the years. And when you're talking about a bad White Sox team, I enjoy those moments of comedy between Benetti and Stone. But so far, I have liked what I have heard from the first two games of the broadcast from White Sox spring training. Yeah, it's okay. Like, I'm trying not to issue judgments one way or another too strongly because he's introducing himself he only has uh, like six or so games and he's got 10 games or 10 days in between games. So like he's got to take these early reps seriously in terms of calling the action, pacing uh, his calls around the innings, like shaping uh, the flow of the conversation around the outs. Like I remember Jason Benetti would always say like, I'm starting a story with two outs in the inning. And, you know, he would make that meta breaking the fourth wall reference to uh, just a faux pas. And then like, you know, listening to John Schriffen do exactly that about Eric Fetty uh, without the 
wink to the audience and actually run into that problem and you realize like, oh yeah, he's, uh, he hasn't called much baseball in his career. He's been mostly you know, basketball and football and he's called a little bit of baseball around, uh, you know, the KBO I think was his most consistent baseball experience, but that was entirely different. So he's got to learn, uh, the flow of the game. So there's that. And so like that, he came up with like a, what I felt was a disproportionately excited call to the walk-off uh, Carroll hit in the second game. Yeah, I felt like, yeah, it's a spring training game after both teams soiled themselves defensively over the last couple of innings. Like, it was kind of an embarrassing finish to the game and just like, oh, you're happy this is over. And, you know, he brought it like, you know, a, a 10 out of 10 excitement call. But then you realize, like, he's got to figure that out. Like, he's got to take this seriously. So I'm not going to, like, be a jaded listener and say like, you know, where's this energy coming from? Like you realize like, yeah, he's getting his practice in for when these moments do matter. And so like, if he's saying Southside stand up about a spring training game, it's like, yeah, you know, all right, you know, keep, keep doing that. Keep getting the feel for it. So that, that's why I'm not trying to rush too much. Uh, I think what I'm curious about is when he starts to feel like he knows the team more versus offloading all of his you know calls or questions about like how this team works to Steve Stone because I think that's what I was used to with Benetti and Stone and before him Hawk and Stone like both of those guys knowing the team and the players very very well uh that's a little bit different and then I think just you know he has a lot of personal excitement for it which is you know understandable but I'm curious like you know when like mid-April rolls around when he's been in it for a couple weeks. Is it still going to be like, yeah, this is exciting as the White Sox are losing four to two in the third inning. Like, is it going to have that tone or will he be able to shift gears, uh, shift down and like be able to reflect some voice of a team that's trailing or struggling or making major league errors in a major league game and they're counting for major league unearned runs. Like that's what I want to hear from him right now. It's kind of the honeymoon period or he's basking in the glow of his good fortune and, you know, I, I don't blame him whatsoever, but uh, given the circumstances under which he was hired with like Jerry Reinsdorf saying, I don't like Jason Benetti. Like I, I want this John Triffin guy and like figuring out like, Oh, what? Yeah. right now I have it in my head, like in the corner of my brain, uh, why does Jerry Reinsdorf want the broadcast to be like this? And then you get guilt by association, which I think is unfair. So that's why I'm, uh, you know, I have these thoughts rattling in my head, but I'm really not trying to follow them too closely because I want him to be able to have a chance to like form an impression that I think is fair. It's a tough gig. I mean, the team is not expected to be good. And the fan base, uh, as I keep seeing in my tweets about what they would like to give Jerry Reinstor for his birthday, uh, not really happy <laughs> with ownership right now. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's a tough gig, but I thought John Triffin, he, he calls a good game. He's very polished. Yeah. He, he makes a T voice is good. Yeah. Voice is good. And he got something out of Steve stone that I did not know. Like when they were talking about what was the last concert that Steve stone went, I, I know Jason Bidet's asked him that question, but he got out of Steve that Steve would rather go to comedy shows than live music performances. And that Steve stone is a big Lewis black fan. I did not know that. First of all, I would have never guessed that. But I did not know that from Steve Stone. So he's bringing something out of Stoney that we haven't heard before. And yeah, I mean, how long have we been listening to Steve Stone calling baseball games? 30 years? 
Yeah, which I think is, yeah. It's a good sign because like when Steve Stone doesn't want to talk about something, he just makes it very clear like, I'm not going to indulge that question. And then silence follows, uh, which is how you can kind of tell if he has like a good rapport. So the fact that he's being game with uh, John Triffin's questions early on, I think is a good sign because Stone is going to need to step up uh, to make sure that he's he remains just as engaged uh, with the call and with the team and with the information as Jason Betty helped him be. Because I think, you know, when at the end of the Hawk era, Stone was mailing in it basically because Hawk didn't care what he had to say. And so, like, uh, why bother really investing a whole lot of effort if it's, you know, not going to resonate? And so I'm just going to say my thing. He's going to say his. We can be in separate rooms and it doesn't really matter. But one of the things that Benetti uh, really... I think his stamp on the booth, regardless of how you felt about his calls or his you know, sense of humor or catchphrases, et cetera, is that he got Steve Stone, or he got a lot, of, a lot more out of him, breathed new life into his analysis, pushed back on him a little bit about some conventional wisdom, helped flesh out some things a little bit more. I think he updated Steve Stone's knowledge uh, to account for um, you know, new jargon, new uh, developments in research and development. So, yeah, I'm hoping that Stone carries that forward is like, oh, this really helped me a lot. And this, you know, even though I'm in my mid 70s, I'm still as relevant as pretty much any analyst out there because, uh, you know, I had to listen a little bit more. And he did a good job with that with Benetti. And I'm hoping that Schriffen, well, one, he does the same with Schriffen. And I hope that Schriffen also you know, makes himself as knowledgeable about current trends in the game and what what is being done around the league as Benetti was. Let's move over to what we have not liked so far. And I'll start here, Jim. The shortstop defense from Paul DeYoung and Braden Shoemake. So two critical errors that I do not want to see over the next 30 games because these two, I don't know if they're competing to be the opening day shortstop, but the expectation is these two are going to be handling, handling the shortstop position until Colson Montgomery arrives in the second game against the Mariners. Shoemake didn't feel the grounder up the middle cleanly. So that scored a run, but then he threw behind the runner at third base and to Steve Stone's credit on the broadcast, he called it. As soon as Shoemaker was throwing to third base, he's like, that's the wrong base to be throwing to. You got to make that throw to home so the guy doesn't advance. So that that's how the game. That's how the Mariners tied the game against the White Sox. So that was just a brain fart by Shoemaker. And in the third game, according to Vinny Duber of CHGO, because again, this wasn't streamed, he tweeted out that Paul Dion allowed a run to score because he was arguing with the umpire when the play was still live. And again, it's very early. It's only three games. But these two have shortstop experience. And I don't want to see these types of mental errors the rest of spring training, Jim. Because if the if these mental errors continue over the next 30 games, and if Dion and Shoemake do not instill confidence of, man, these guys are not that good defensively at shortstop, this is how you invite questions regarding calling up Colson Montgomery earlier than mm-hmm. expected. So Dion and Shoemake, I need to see better defense from these two or 
I'm going to start pitching you ideas in a couple of weeks of, okay, so Nikki Lopez should be the starting shortstop. Who's playing second base, Jim? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I couldn't t- tell from Vinny's tweet if he said, like, DeYoung was arguing or just, like, trying to sell the tag and looking back for the umpire, like, you know, call him out. You know, and then uh, the... the Double steal happened, or the runner continued going to thir- uh, from third to home. But the shoemake one, having seen that, having watched it first, I yeah, you know, I wasn't sure who was out there. I lost track of like who was playing short, so I saw the throw like you know from the distant camera going from second, and that was like a play Lenin Sosa screwed up last year, and so I thought, oh, did Sosa make the same? Uh, issue because they're both kind of big for middle infielders. And so like from a distance at first glance, I saw like, oh no, the Sosa did it again. And then it's like, oh, it's not Sosa. Oh, it's Shoemake. Uh, but then like um, that decision, I think sums up what Pedro Grifol is saying about playing fast because that was very slow in terms of just like where to go with the ball. It was a thing where the game was too fast for Shoemake. So he bobbled the ball. First, he like he ranged to his left. He mishandled the ball. So that's a case of like rushing his actions. And then like his CPU fried and, you know, his processing slowed down or did not keep up with the game. And so he's throwing a base behind as the runner continues. So that's, I think, the, uh, yeah, we can kind of make fun of like, oh, how's Andrew Vaughn and Martin Maldonado and Gavin Sheets supposed to f- play fast? And I think, you know, to defend Griffel a little bit, which is a stance I think we rarely take here. Uh, but to uh, you know, show what he means, uh, that is, I think, the um, quintessential slow play of just throwing to a base a guy is already rounding because you just lost track of like the pace at which everybody else is playing the game. Again, it's very early. I just don't want to see these mistakes continue, right? Pile up during the entire spring training or White Sox fans are going to start asking questions of why did, why do they sign Dion? <laughs> What's the point of mm-hmm. Shoemake? Like who's starting at shortstop? Uh, and I think that answer would be Nicky Lopez and then try to figure out who would be better fit at, at second base. So again, it's early, but yeah, not not a great first impression defensively from Paul Dion and, and Braden Shoemake. And then uh, my last, uh, what I have not liked so far, uh, my man Jesse Chavez getting rocked. Now, I hope it gets better, Jim, in his upcoming mm-hmm. appearances. He did strike out two batters in that inning, but it was a lot of loud and hard contact that Chavez gave up. And I joked on Twitter that at least the White Sox outfielders are practicing their relay throws <laughs> because I think it was Ortega that was playing left field. That poor guy, like three times that inning, just running down a liner down the left field line into the corner and having to throw it in. Uh, the, the Cubs were definitely on Jesse Chavez, but it doesn't help my campaign of Jesse Chavez making the team. So I'm not older than every player on the opening day roster. Uh, but those were my two biggies is that shortstop defense. And uh, I hope Jesse Chavez uh, picks it up in his uh, upcoming appearances in spring training. Yeah. The one thing I, you know, another thing I didn't like, or I'm not quite sure what to make of it uh, is the Martin Maldonado, not hustling down the line on a chopper to the left side. And then like standing up and saying, I didn't hustle. That was bad. I vowed to do better and feel like, is that like, why is everyone making a big deal out of this? Was it staged in yeah. some way, which I saw like the response being like, did he not hustle on purpose to like make an example of himself to kind of set the tone uh, for, for self-policing and, and showing what that looks like and just be like, that's, that's real corny if it is. So but it felt corny all around you, him Jim, though. 
What does hustling look like, though, for Martin Maldonado? He's one of the yeah. slowest runners in the game of baseball. Could anyone tell the difference between him not hustling and running hard down the first baseline? Yeah, I mean, we had that with Grandal with his knee injury, too. It's it's very familiar. Um, but, yeah, just it felt, like, corny. So I'm hoping, you know, and I don't know what to hope. It's either, like, you hope that uh, he wasn't running or just kind of you know, easy. I guess I hope that that's the case because, like, yeah, it's spring training. Um, you know, it's a miss hit. Uh, who cares if you get on base? Uh, but also, like, then it just feels like if, if it was a thing where – you know, you're trying to you know, help Pedro Grafola out by setting a veteran tone and kind of establishing a hierarchy in the clubhouse so you don't have to get him, uh, you know, leave it all up to the manager to police everybody. And, you know, as we saw last year, Grafola could not police everybody. He could police guys with uh, under two years of uh, service time, but anybody else he was afraid to issue consequences for. So that's... Yeah, was Maldonado helping him out? Not sure, but I guess that's what it would look like if you were. So, yeah, shrug, I don't know. But either way, corny is a word I keep coming back to. I don't think it's a big deal. So if people want to keep bringing it up as like a big deal, like, you know, good on Martin standing up and addressing the team and taking onus on his mistake. He still reached on base, though, right? Didn't Jordan Wicks drop the ball twice? Yeah. Yep. Whatever. Okay. Again, I can't tell the difference. He could have stretched into a double. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. (laughs) I would love to see that. I would love to see that. Uh, Again, we'll have more examples of what we like, what we don't like uh, next week as the White Sox spring train schedule is loaded this upcoming week. Monday, the Texas Rangers, the defending world champions will play the White Sox. Tuesday, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And boy, they look good so far in spring training. Wednesday, the San Diego Padres. Thursday, split squad day, Royals and Mariners. Friday, it's the Cubs again. Saturday, it's the Rangers. And on Sunday, get to see the Angels. So that would be the White Sox upcoming week. So eight games in the upcoming seven days. So we'll get more that we could talk about next week of what we like and what we don't like so far from the White Sox spring training games. We'll take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. But coming up next, Cody Bellinger finally signs. Will we see Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell, and Matt Chapman follow with signings this week? We'll discuss next on the Sox Machine Podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, so some Chicago Cubs news on this podcast. Cody Bellinger re-signs with the Cubs, signing a three-year, $80 million contract. And for the amount of years and money, right away, my head went to, man, I wish the White Sox were in a better state right now, a more competitive roster, a more competitive team, because... That would technically be the largest free agent contract signing in White Sox history, uh, mm-hmm. despite still not being $100 million. And well short of what the rumors were during the offseason that Cody Bellinger were, was hoping to get a $200 million contract after his stellar 2023 campaign. The way this contract set up, though, is pretty interesting. 2024, Bellinger's going to get $30 million, and then he can get an opt-out. Or if he doesn't opt out, it's another $30 million in 2025. And then he has a second opt-out that he can exercise. Or he gets $20 million in 2026. So in my opinion, Jim, this is really a one- or two-year contract before Cody Bellinger opts out and tests free agency a third time. What do you make of the contract that Bellinger signed with the Cubs? I think it's a good deal for the Cubs uh, based on the initial demands, what they probably would have had to spend to extend him midseason when he looked like a really promising component of their team and they were making you know, what they hoped was a postseason run and came up short, but fit the team really well. And you know, they were clamoring for an extension. And I think you know Ricketts and Hoyer did well to test his market and not cave in and you know, make him have to prove it again because his career has been so erratic. So I'm surprised that he couldn't do a little bit better, but the average annual value, I think, at least softens that somewhat. Like he wasn't going to get $30 million for six years, I don't think. Like that felt a little bit steep. So to do it one or two years and then see how he's doing after that. I think is no Cape Bridge deal. What I keep coming back to is thinking like between this and the Manny Machado contract and the way Machado opted out halfway into his deal or threatened to opt out. And then he signed an extension with the Padres, but he was going to opt out after five years, and 150 million, essentially that like Reinsdorf really missed the boat on these premium free agents and by taking advantage of opt-outs and by like letting players shorten the deal themselves, like this could have been a deal the White Sox signed if they had a team that a, you know, Cody Bellinger would have made a difference for. Like they would have loved to sign Manny Machado for a five-year $150 million deal, but because they don't do opt-outs because they don't give the player any, significant leverage aside from maybe like a, you know, they might do a player option or like a mutual option like Mike Clevenger had, but they're not going to do like a opt out two years into an eight year deal and then change, you know, our entire plans for what we have to do over the next, you know, three to four years after that. Uh, That's a concession to the player, even though like it can work out for the team. Like it seems like the White Sox are just not interested in it because like it does favor labor. Uh, I think you get so tied up in that and just, you know, what makes sense for Jerry Reinsdorf, the guy who does not like the union, that you miss out on opportunities like, you know, paying a Cody Bellinger for 
possibly two years and 60 million, which would not set the record for a White Sox financial commitments. If they could have signed Manny Machado to five years and 150 million, uh, if you would have accepted that deal, I imagine that would have been fine for them. Um, same thing with like Bryce Harper, if he signed a similar deal to where he throw in some opt-outs early on. Like if you could have signed Bryce Harper to a three-year, $80 million deal, and then he opts out of it, like, great, you got Bryce Harper for the best three years he had left in terms of age and, you know, physical capability. So I think as this goes on, you might see more deals like this because I think the game is skewing younger. And aside from like Shohei Otani and maybe like Yamamoto, who is 25, Juan Soto is going to be a young free agent. He'll get that big deal. But for the guys who are like in their late 20s, I think you're going to see more deals like this that are shorter, more flexible, more opt-outs, complicated, and it probably makes sense for the White Sox to be very interested in this if they're not interested in paying uh, any more than like 75 to $80 million in the contract. This might be the way to go. Yeah, free agent position players are suddenly going to become mercenaries, right? Like year to year. Mm-hmm. You know where you're playing this year. You may not know where you're playing next, right? Tim Anderson signs a one-year deal with the Miami Marlins. If he has a bounce back year, he's going to be a free agent again. May not be in Miami. Might be somewhere else. I know that makes it tough, especially if you have a family, to have to keep moving, but such is life as a professional athlete, especially Major League Baseball. So I understand where you're going with that line of thinking, Jim. And, you know, with Jerry Reinsdorf, he always wants control. Like it, the White Sox love club options, love club yeah. options. Uh, we rarely see mutual options, but I don't think when was the last time a player had a true player option with the White Sox? Like Mike Clevenger had a mutual option, which is a glorified buyout. Yeah, but I don't. Yeah, different don't, money. Yeah. I don't remember or recall a player the White Sox signed and they gave them a player option. It just seems so often it's really four guaranteed years, but we've added two to three club options so it could extend to seven years, right? It's the whole Rick Khan. In a lot of ways, mm -hmm. our offer was more than what San Diego was offering because we offered eight guaranteed years yeah. and then two club options. So, the White Sox and Jerry Ryan sort of love the club yeah. options, but I'm not seeing a lot of that happen today. Yeah, A.J. Pollock was one that came to mind, but that was the Dodgers deal he signed. Right. The White Sox inherited that. Got it. Um, worth researching to see who was the last White Sox player that Jerry Reinsdorf signed a contract to that he gave him a player option. But like from Scott Boris's point of view, I get it. And his clients have been getting a lot of player options as of late. I mean, Carlos Rodon used it perfectly for him, right? He went to San Francisco, had an outstanding year, mm -hmm. opted out and signed that big deal with the New York Yankees. I know it didn't work out for the Yankees and Rodon last year, but Rodon looks very motivated, by the way, uh, to start spring training. And everyone has been raving about how he has come to camp refocused. So keep an eye on old friend Carlos Rodon. But yeah, I just wish the White Sox were in a better competitive state because if, if the Bellingers of the world are willing to sign three-year $80 million contracts, that's right in the wheelhouse of what Jerry Reinsdorf is willing to spend. Now, here's the good news uh, for other teams. I don't think the White Sox are to be on these three guys. But does this mean with Cody Bellinger finally signed that we're going to see Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, and Matt Chapman sign? 
Now, if you remember, at the beginning of the offseason, Jim and I did our MLB free agent pick up. We picked 10 free agents to try to make our best guesses. We are not doing well. Uh, I, I got Cody Bellinger, no. so now I have two. Uh, I'm beating Jim two to one right now. We didn't even get the biggest free agent signing for the White Sox, which currently goes to Eric Fetty. Wasn't even on my radar when making that prediction, but we still got three remaining, which can put us in the respectable area. If we can nail these three, uh, I don't think I'm going to be right on mine. So with Blake Snell, I originally said the Dodgers. I don't think that's happening. You said the Giants. So I think that's possible, Jim. Jordan Montgomery, I had the Texas Rangers. Mm -hmm. Jim had the Baltimore Orioles. I still think that's possible. And then Matt Chapman. That's where I had the San Francisco Giants, and Jim mentioned the Chicago Cubs. So let's reset here. Knowing what we know and where teams stand in spring training, let's give an opportunity to ourselves to change our picks here, starting with Blake Snell. And I am baffled a little bit on how the 2023 National League Cy Young winner is still a free agent, and nobody has signed him. I get it. Like, the walk issue... I totally understand. But when the dude is on, he is on. And it is tough to score runs against him. So I'm not exactly sure why teams have been so scared to stay away from Blake Snell. Then again, I don't know what he's asking for in a contract. But Jim, if you had to make a guess, if you're willing to change your guess for Blake Snell, who do you think signs Blake Snell now? I think I will switch to maybe the Angels. Oh, okay. It feels like they might feel pressed to do something with Mike Trout's comments. Yeah. Talking about like, what are we doing here after Shohei Otani? <laughs> uh, when elsewhere in this, there's been nothing to fill that void and they could use something to, and Artie Moreno likes spending. He likes spending kind of randomly and not effectively, but I could see them getting in late and being a good home for Snell. So I will change to the Angels. I'm going to pick the Yankees because it's rumored that the Yankees have a standing offer to Blake Snell and that rotation <laughs> would be crazy good if they got Blake Snell. I mean, Garrett Cole, Blake Snell, Carlos Rodon, they signed Marcus Stroman and oh, he looks like Mario, uh, Nestor Cortez. Nestor Cortez, yeah. I mean, if that's your starting five, <laughs> holy cow. Uh, yeah, and then all of a sudden the Yankees become very serious contenders to win the American League pennant in 2024. So I'm going to say Blake Snell and signs a similar deal like Cody Ballinger did in which the Yankees be willing to give a player opt-out to Blake Snell after the 2024 season. So not a long-term deal, but the Steinbrenners showing to the Yankees fans they are truly all in going to 2024, knowing that Juan Soto with the Yankees could just be a one-year type of thing before Soto tests free agency. Jordan Montgomery. Now, word on the street is that Montgomery would love to go back to Texas, but Rangers general manager Chris Young has said that they're tapped out. Like, revenue-wise, spending-wise, they may have spent a little too much and they can't add on to their roster in hopes of defending their 2023 world championship. So if it's not back to the Texas Rangers, do you still like your original pick, the Baltimore Orioles, Jim, or do you have someone else in mind? I 
do like, you know, I still don't think it makes all the baseball sense the way that, um, you know, Dylan Cease has made sense, but like they did trade for Corbin Burns. So me that closed them off from making a major investment. So, you know, maybe the Cardinals who I kind of liked as a landing spot. Uh, originally I had Aaron Nola going there, I believe in my predictions, um, as as somebody fits, but like, they like their starters who, uh, enjoyed being there and, pitch a lot of innings like they like their starters to be traditional starting pitchers so maybe i'll flip to the cardinals i mean they have signed they got sunny gray right lance lynn who there was a third starter the kyle gibson right that they signed to be in their starting rotation they went the old way of building their sunny all these guys are older than 32 so i guess bringing jordan montgomery in to replace, I guess, Steven Matz in that rotation. That that could make sense, and that's a nice counter move if the Cardinals did do that uh, to counter what the Cubs did bringing back Cody Bellinger. So I like that pick, Jim. I, I'm going to go with the Red Sox only because if you, I don't know who hates ownership more right now, the White Sox or the Red Sox. Like every offseason story about the Red Sox, I feel like you could replace with White Sox and it would still make sense. So as a last minute extending the olive branch between John Henry and the Boston Red Sox faithful, he signs Jordan Montgomery to a short-term deal and causing more confusion in exactly what the Boston Red Sox are trying to do in 2024. But I that's my best guess now. I don't think it's going to be the Rangers. I, I believe Chris Young when he says that the Rangers don't have any more money even though I'm sure they would love to have a reunion with Jordan Montgomery. Uh, They may not be able to make the money work. So that's why I'll change my pick to the Red Sox. And then finally, Matt Chapman. I don't know what to make of his market, Jim. Are teams just not interested in Matt Chapman? Is, Is that what this is about? Or just like he's like a kind of ideal for the kind of contract that Bellinger signed. And just, he hasn't been interested in something like that to date because he, his offense is a little bit like hot and cold or, um, and his defense really anchors his value. And given that he's getting, uh, you know, deeper into his thirties, like teams just might not want to commit beyond three years, uh, to somebody like with his profile. So maybe it gets a little bit, uh, iffy in terms of like, the average annual value going beyond three years. So if we still believe to back up your point that a war, one war costs $8 million in salary, according to zips, the three-year projection for Matt Chapman over the next three seasons, he's projected to be 10 war. So to piggyback on your point, yeah, three years, $80 million. Now who needs a third baseman? And with the game going younger and younger, it seems like teams have these either like we have a couple of shortstops that we really like. One will stick at shortstop. The other guy will move over to third. Like who needs a third baseman right now? Because I, I just I don't think there's a lot. I don't think the mar- uh, the market for Matt Chapman is very deep. Blue Jays, right? Uh, I think given that they. But didn't they just figure that position out? They got Connor Falefa. I mean, is he plan A at third? I'm looking at it right now, and yeah, it's according to roster resource. Yeah, Kiner Falefa is their oh, first I choice at third don't base. Like that, <laughs> I don't like that for Toronto. 
Yeah. Uh, no. So it feels like, you know, since missing on Otani, they haven't had their big, uh, yeah, they, they haven't connected in the way everybody thought that they could to build on what was a kind of a disappointing 2023. So I could see him maybe returning. Uh, I had him going to the Cubs, but that's because I figured it'd be either between like Bellinger or Chapman, like one of the two. And now that Bellinger is back with the Cubs, I could see like maybe Toronto being back open to a return because he played well there. Uh, like Kevin Kiermeyer, somebody also returned to Toronto after mm-hmm. not finding the market to his liking and saying like, I really like playing here. Like I could maybe see a similar return in order for Chapman. The other signing that I thought maybe could have taken care of third base for the Blue Jays was Justin Turner. But maybe Turner picks up more of the DH at-bats. And to your point, you could bring back Matt Chapman. He takes care of third. And then you help extend your bench for the Toronto Blue Jays. I The Blue Jays make a lot of sense. I would still stick with the Giants because the Giants keep offering a bunch of money to players and they don't want to take it. J.D. Martinez, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, so Martin, J.D. Martinez was the latest one, but they only offered $14 million for one year, and Martinez wanted $20 million for one year uh, to be somebody's primary DH. I understand why the Giants then pivoted and signed Jorge Soler uh, to be their DH and got three years out of that contract at $14 million per season. Wilmer Flores had a career year for the San Francisco Giants at third base, which was two-and-a-half war. Matt Chapman was worth three and a half war in 2024. So I still think this would be a big defensive upgrade. And for a team that desperately wants somebody to take their money, I'm still going to stick with the San Francisco Giants to sign Matt Chapman. But yeah, so we reset our picks. Uh, So Jim is having Chapman going back to the Blue Jays, Montgomery going to the Cardinals and Blake Snell going to the Angels. I got Yankees for Snell, I got Red Sox for Montgomery, and I got Giants for Matt Chapman. Let us know in the podcast comments on the Sox Machine page to let us know where you guys think these three will sign. Are they going to sign before opening day? Are they going to sign next week? When are they going to sign, Jim? I would think that there's too much riding on their seasons, especially like... There was a few years ago, that was a Kendrick Morales. I'm trying to think of the guys. Steven Drew was another one who waited until after the draft to sign and didn't really turn out well for them. And if it's true that like these late twenties, early thirties free agents are getting paid, I don't really see what waiting a year does. So like, I think bridge contracts, pillow contracts, you know, generous opt outs, I think will be ultimately what they signed for. And it just turns out to be like a one year deal or like a three year deal that they can opt out every year. Uh, Players are hoping it's a one-year stay uh, and there's a bigger payday on the other side of it. But I can imagine that might be the way to go. If Bellinger is you know, the first to cave, I guess you could see the others following suit. Well, that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Again, let us know in the comments section or even on social media as well. Where do you think the remaining three Boris Free Agents sign? A few promotional items from us on Sox Machine. James Fegan will be sitting down with White Sox manager Pedro Grafal for a one-on-one. That post will be up Monday morning on SoxMachine.com. This upcoming Wednesday, I'll have another 2024 MLB draft report highlighting Arkansas starting pitcher Hagen Smith, who struck out 17 batters against Oregon State, including three strikeouts against Travis Bazana, which is 
a remarkable, and I cut together a video highlight that you could check out on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash socks machine of all 17 strikeouts for Hagen Smith. And next month we have our live podcast show at the Remova theater in Bridgeport in Chicago on March 27th, 2024 for our opening day Eve shows. We get the party started for the regular season. You can buy your tickets at RemovaChicago.com and help support us at patreon.com slash socks machine. A few Patreon shout outs. Thanks to Bill Joyce, Chief, uh, I'm sorry, Chief Charlie and James Ferguson for recently joining our Patreon. We've cleared one big milestone, but we're working on clearing our second milestone before opening day as we are making plans on sending James out on the road in April and May to cover White Sox games for us. He'll cover all the home games for the White Sox this season for us. And that is a huge thanks to all those that signed up already at patreon.com slash machine in the past couple of weeks. Your guys' immediate support is allowing us to send James out on the road. We'd like to keep sending him out on the road. So if you haven't signed up yet, you could do so at patreon.com slash machine. And for our existing Patreon supporters, Jim, there's still some time for our 2 and $3 supporters to update their accounts. Yes. A couple more weeks. I'll send out a reminder this week. We had so many podcasts last week that I didn't, didn't want it to slip in between like all the uh, stadium uh, proposal related podcasts we're doing midweek. So I will send a reminder with some uh, links to what we've been able to do so far with the uh, Patreon support we've gotten to kind of show a proof of concept. But hopefully it's more a matter of just people, you know, having other things to do, getting around to it. And, uh, it, yeah, I'm no stranger to procrastinating myself. So, uh, I harbor no ill will, but I will be setting out a reminder over, uh, probably each next two weeks saying, uh, just a reminder to, uh, bump up to the $5, uh, tier in order to, uh, get full access to all of our content with ad free versions of both the website and podcast. And we also have the $10 tier, which gives you the PO Sox mailbag with James and Jim. Also 20% off our store purchases, our $25 a month tier, monthly Zoom calls. We had it last week. So our $25 tier members got a chance to join a Zoom and get insight from James Fegan when he was in Arizona, asking him questions about not only the job, but what he's hearing down in Arizona, very informal, but very entertaining and also tickets to our live show as well while supplies last and our veterans committee. We had a couple of people join our VC recently and we've got five spots open still before we close the first round off. And again, they serve as our board of directors for Sox machine and they get to be part of a group chat where they have direct access to James and James has been providing some very interesting and funny off the record type of stuff that he was seeing at spring training. Uh, so again, if you're interested in these other tiers as well, you can sign up at patreon.com slash sock machine. And if you're interested in joining and taking one of those five spots open in our veterans committee level, you can contact Jim and I as well through patreon.com slash sock machine. If this is the first time you've heard the sock machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple music. Again, you can check out our videos and also listen to our podcast on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash socks machine and follow us on social media we're everywhere now you can follow us at socks machine you can follow me at socks machine underscore josh and of course follow james at jr Fegan. socks machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things chicago white Sox baseball alongside jim margulis i'm josh nelson thanks for listening and watching mm-hmm.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.